If you can turn with me to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. And we are going to, um, we're going to continue in the book of Mark chapter 1. Last week, we shared, I shared with you just a few verses right in the beginning of the book of Mark. And we ended with these words. We, we uh, looked at John as a witness unto Christ. It's starting, Mark, starting with these beautiful words. He's talking about the beginning of the good news. Mark is about good news. It's a confrontational book. It's a confrontational gospel, but it's, but it's uh, from the very beginning, Mark says, listen, I'm going to share with you good news. And, and, and at the end of what we shared with you last week is in verse 7 when it says, and this was his message. This was the message that John was communicating. John said, listen, there's one that comes after me. After me comes the one more powerful than I. The straps of his sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is John's message. Now, if you missed last week, it will be, well, it is online, so you're more than welcome to, uh, to go and download that if you want to just catch up on that. But today we're moving on, and I want you to read with me from verse 9, book of Mark chapter 1 and from verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being, being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now at once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan and he was with wild animals, and angels attended him. And then in verse 14, we see that now after John was put in prison, Jesus goes on into, uh, with his ministry, sharing this message. Jesus says this, he says, So after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, the reason I read up until that verse is right the way that John started. Listen, in the beginning of the gospel, this good news that John wants to proclaim, he then gives us the message that John was sharing. He says, listen, um, this is the good news, that the one that comes after me, I'm not even worthy to stoop down and, and untie his, his shoelaces. It's all about him. It's all about him. I can baptize you with water, but he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And then when Jesus started proclaiming, he also said, listen, it's time. The time is here. Repent. And then he said, listen, because this is what? What is it? It is good news. Repent and believe the good news. Now remember the good news as we step just into a few verses where I want to pause this morning as just... From verse 9 to verse 12 and verse 13, where Jesus is baptized by John, and then when Jesus are tempted, sent into the wilderness um, through the Spirit of God to be tempted by Satan. So as we start in verse 9, it said that Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now in Matthew and in Luke, we get a, very, we get a greater account of this. In chapter 3 of both these Gospels, you get a greater account. But here, just very shortly, it says this. It says that Jesus was baptized by John. 
Now, John tried to deter him. In Matthew, we see this in chapter 3. John actually tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. Now you come to me. And in Matthew, Jesus replied to him. He said, no, let it be so now, for it is proper for us to, to fulfill, to do this, to fulfill all righteousness, to do everything that is right before God. So John says, listen, I, I, I can't even untie your shoelaces. That is clear to me. But now you come to me to be baptized by me. Now, I think each and every one of us, especially if you understand, like John understood, we would have this, had the same response. Look, I, I can't baptize you. And Jesus said, John, there's more at play here than you know. This is not just me being baptized by you. He said, John, there's something more that you don't understand yet. Just as you are called and sent to do what you are supposed to do, John. You are supposed to declare, to prepare the way of the Lord. He said, I am called, I am sent to do the will of the Father. And this includes me being baptized by you. Now listen to this. As Jesus describes this to John, he says, John, just, just, just do as I ask you. Baptize me. John then baptized him. And in the baptism, Jesus associated himself with our sin. Just remember this, John proclaimed and said, listen, come and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Jesus had no sin. So Jesus, and, and I'll show you a little bit later, Jesus had no sin, but Jesus was baptized by John, not because Jesus needed repentance from his sin, not for guilt of his own sin, but to pay the price and to set the stage for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus wasn't baptized like most that listened to John. John declared and, and said, listen, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. So the people that listened to John, most of them were going, oh, we are sinful people, Jews and Gentiles alike, and they were baptized. Jesus did not have that experience. But for Jesus, it was about doing what the Father instructed him to do. Now, I don't have time to share all of this with you. But twice later on, Jesus actually points to this as his baptism, but pointing to the baptism as declaring something to come. In Luke chapter 12, he says, listen, I've got a baptism that I have to be baptized with, and it will consume me until it is done. Now remember, Jesus was baptized in the beginning of the Gospels. This is in the middle of the Gospels. Jesus pointing to a baptism that is to come. So there's a connection between the baptism of Jesus by John and Jesus' baptism into death. The cross of Calvary, the grave, Jesus paying the price for our sins and rising up and bringing victory to us. Now, as I said, I'm not preaching on baptism only this morning, but I have to share this with you. There was a significance to Jesus saying, John, you've got to baptize me. Why? But Jesus, you're Jesus. Rather, you just go yourself and you baptize. You know, I'm John. Jesus is saying, no, John, I'm testifying to the fact that whatever lies ahead of me, what the Father sent me to do, I say yes now. 
I declare now that when the difficult moments come, it will be, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Because from the beginning, it was about being obedient to God and taking our iniquities, our sin on him. So Jesus, baptized by John, did so in obedience. That's the only thing you've got to take with you this morning. Because God said so. Because the Father wanted it so. For what is to come, this is important. I think just, just, just pause with me a little bit. As this happened, as this happened, in verse 10 it says, just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now, to be honest with you, it was so difficult for me not to just preach about these two phrases. Think about it. What did Jesus see? The moment Jesus said, John, I know you don't understand, but just do what I ask. Just baptize me. The moment Jesus was baptized, at the age of 30, Jesus baptized, coming out of the water. What did he see? Scripture says, Jesus saw heaven torn open. Can you imagine our Savior, our Lord's experience, seeing heaven torn open and the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove. It was such an experience that not only Jesus experienced it, all those around him saw that God, when Jesus did what God called him to do, even those very first steps, God tore open the heavens and the Spirit of God descended on Jesus. This is what he saw. This is what those around him saw. But it's not just what he saw. It's also what he heard. This is my son, Come on, read with me. Whom I love. See, John, there's a connection, John. He says, the Father sent me to do this. And in obedience, I, I'm called and I'm sent to do everything the Father instructs me to do. And the Father testifies to that fact by the Spirit of God descending on Jesus. It's not just Jesus being baptized and the water washing over him. It's the Spirit of God dwelling inside of him, saturating every part of him. And the Father saying, hey, let me just say something. Now remember, you don't hear about God saying a lot of things in the gospel between Jesus' birth and Jesus' baptism. Come on, follow with me. How many years? You, you, you guys, you with me? 30 years. 30 years, pretty quiet. It's almost like in the days of Samuel. See, and the word of the Lord was scarce. But God amongst us, Emmanuel, Jesus, was growing and following in the footsteps that the Father pointed out for him. And in that moment where he knew the time has come, it's the beginning to proclaim the good news 
of the gospel and salvation of Jesus Christ. Let me, let me just be very clear in the beginning. This is what it's all about. When Jesus came and said, okay, John, you've got to baptize me. He was baptized. The Father could not keep silent anymore. This is the Son whom I love. Oh, how I wish. Jesus, you've got to bear with me and pray for me this morning. How I wish I was there. Sometimes I, I, I think, what a, what a moment to hear the Father address the Son. This is my Son. Have you been witness to a Father just in your presence, maybe a dad and a, and a son just walking or doing something and a dad just hugging his son. How many times has that touched your heart? How many times? How many times when a son, maybe a teenage son or older son, you just see there's still a beautiful relationship and he just hugs his dad, man, and your heart melts. Are you like me in that regard? It just, it just does something to you. Imagine the moment the father said, this is my son. This is the son whom I love. I don't just love him. I like him. I am well pleased with him. I love him. He's my boy. And when did God do that? When? When Jesus said, John, you don't have to understand to be obedient. Let's just do what I know he said should be done. You see, the Father stares open heaven and just addresses things. When obedience sets the pace and steps forward. Say, John, you got to baptize me because there's some things to come after this. Not only the baptism as an act of obedience from Christ, but the Spirit of God resting on Jesus. Isn't it interesting that Jesus did not minister? He did not publicly minister. He healed nobody. He ministered to nobody. He didn't preach before the fact that he made this stance in obedience. And the Spirit of God rested on Jesus like a dove. Came and rested on him. Filled every single portion of him. Only then did Jesus say, right now, this is the time. Repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. The good news is here. And Jesus started ministering. But I should not get ahead of myself here. As I said, pray for me. How beautiful. What a day when Jesus was baptized. I just want to share with you these two things. And there's a lot more said about Jesus' baptism. But Mark just just puts it in your midst. Mark is a man of action and you can hear it in, in his gospel. So when Jesus was baptized, the Spirit rested on him. The very next thing 
Read with me in verse 12. The NIV says, at once. The original text says, immediately. You know how many times you're going to read this in Mark? Immediately. At once. Just then. Because when we step into the Father's plan and will for our lives, there's no delay. You see, He's there. He's always there. It might be a little bit different than you think. It might play out a little bit different. John was thinking, maybe Jesus is going to baptize me. No, 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 John. You baptize him. Because this should be fulfilled. And at that very moment, the moment the Holy Spirit came and descended on Jesus like a dove, at once, the Spirit of God sent him out into the wilderness. Two of the other Gospels, it says, and he was driven into the desert. See, we, we, we go, Lord, you know, if I, if I have this awesome experience, you Father, would you just fill my life? And then when, when you do, when you, when you just come and rest on me and in me and fill everything within me, Lord, just lead me to green pastures. Just take me to all the places I dreamt of going with you. I had a dear friend, I have a dear friend, Ed Silvoso, that always said, he says, God is God and he's got an attitude about it. You see, God has got an agenda for you. The Father had an agenda for the Son. And the Spirit of God shared that agenda with Christ. And immediately when the Spirit descended on Jesus, he said, okay, now Jesus was was taken into the desert, led by the Spirit of God to for 40 days fast in the desert. Oh, how wonderful a start to Jesus' public ministry. Would you put up your hand and say, Let's start like that. Now you see, God had a plan and a purpose. Now in short, in Mark, it just says, the Spirit drove him into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and the angels attended to him. That's what it says. Boom. Now here I just felt I've gotta I've gotta open the picture up for you a little bit. Because Mark points us to the baptism where the Spirit of God rests on him and the Spirit of God then drove him into the desert. We've gotta go quickly have a look at what happened in the desert. We've got to see why Jesus was taken into the desert. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was. If you fast for 40 days and 40 nights, guys, it's not a rhetorical question. What are you then? You are hungry. Okay, don't become so spiritual that I lose you, all right? In Matthew 4, Matthew 4 verse 2, it says, and he was hungry. See, Jesus' soul was, was given to the communication with God. And he separated himself unto his father, being ministered to through the Spirit. This Jesus of ours finding himself in the desert, hungry. 
In verse 3 of Matthew 4, and you can go to Matthew 4. Let me just open Matthew 4 quickly here. In Matthew 4, in verse 3, it says, The enemy came to him and he said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, we've just determined that Jesus was hungry. Matthew makes that very clear. And the enemy comes and says, listen, you, 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 you're the son of God. If you are the son of God, then, then take these stones and make them bread. Jesus was able to do that. And this, when, if ever you wanted to do that miracle, that would have been a good time. Well, that's what the enemy thought. Listen, this is a good temptation. You're hungry. Been fasting for 40 days and, and you're hungry. So, so turn these stones into bread. Jesus, at that stage, I think just physically, because Jesus was fully God, but also fully man. If Jesus didn't eat soon, just practically, his body would have given up. That's just thinking of Jesus' body. So, it, so it, it actually makes sense that the enemy would go, you can't really go any further. Make these stones bread. The suggestion seems so harmless. You're hungry? Do a miracle and eat. You see, but it was a temptation to sin. Because sin is not just necessarily doing something wrong. Sin, amartia, is missing the mark. Sin is doing anything contrary to God's will. Because the incarnated Christ had but one purpose, and that is to do the Father's will and nothing else. Turn these stones into bread and you will eat. No, no, no. And Jesus said to him, Jesus answered him. In Matthew chapter 4, you can quickly um, turn there with me, if you can put that on the screen for us, please. Matthew chapter 4, let me read for you um, just from verse 3. So the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus answered the enemy, it is written. Jesus knew he was the son of God. He did not have to prove to the enemy he was the son of God. Jesus knew he was hungry. But Jesus did not find himself in sin. Stepping into the place that he wanted to fulfill his own need. You see, the temptation here was for Christ to provide in his own need. Now you can take that. We can take that into our own hearts as close as, as we want. See, the temptation was fulfill your own need. Do it in your way. If you are the son of God. You see, he questioned Christ's relationship with the Father. But Jesus knew when, when I was baptized, heaven was torn open. And not only because of what Jesus knew, but also because of what Jesus heard. What did he hear? You read it with me. Thus is my beloved son. 
just a few verses earlier. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Oh, if you are the son of God, you're like, yeah, you know, ah. His word, your word. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Your word, if you are, ah. Uh-uh. It's not about the bread. You know that Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 8, yeah? Jesus quotes Moses reminding the Israelites that God gave them manna in the desert. Now you can go read this. He said, God made you hungry in the desert. He made you hungry and then he gave you manna from heaven so that you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but from the word of God. The Israelites ate manna not because bread fell from heaven. The Israelites ate manna because God said bread will fall from heaven. That is why they ate manna, because of God. And the moment you you, you make that step in trying to get to a place where you provide for yourself, Jesus says, no, 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 the Father provides for me. I will eat what the Father gives and I will do only what the Father shows. Jesus was different than even those that followed him. You can go read this in John chapter six. Jesus actually said, you know, when the crowds followed him again, Jesus said, Yo, you, you are here not for the words that I have to share with you, but you are here because you were full after he fed the 5,000. Jesus said, no, for me, it's not about the food. It's not about the bread. For me, it's doing the will of the Father. Jesus was different. That's why the answer, it is written, man does not live on bread alone but what comes from the mouth of the Father. He actually said, in effect, it is better to starve. Please listen to what I'm saying. Jesus said, in effect, it is better to starve than to be fed apart from the will of the Father. Jesus said, I will not eat your bread and I will also not make my own. I will eat what he gives That was the answer. The will of the Father meant more to Jesus than food or life. Are you with me? Now, some of you, the amens and the yeses are becoming very soft because you know now, oh my goodness, I see where this is going. I'm just sharing scripture with you. The will of the Father meant more to Christ than food or life. So just... In our context, God's will is more important than a hamburger or a promotion or any other thing in your life. God's will is more important than life. Don't have to say amen, just let's move on. Second temptation. In Matthew, 5, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 5 to 7, it says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point in the temple. He said again, If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. So the enemy was basically saying to Jesus, okay, you've shown that you are devoted to the Father, but you are so devoted to Him that He will protect you against anything. Because you are so spiritual. Because you are so true to the will of the Father. Throw yourself. Throw yourself off. 
You have shown that you trust the Father above all. So now, now show how much you trust Him. You've, you trust Him to feed you even more than life. So, so show how much you trust Him. Jump. That's what the enemy said. Good things will surely come. Because I mean, you are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God, then jump. It's so interesting here to me that Jesus answers him, not it is written, he says, it is also written. Because the enemy quoted the psalm. So it is written. That you will not get hurt. Jesus said, it is also written. Quoting again Deuteronomy, just two, two chapters earlier, chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 16, he says, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test, even for the highest and the best ends. They do not justify anything contrary to God's will. And that is something we struggle with a lot nowadays. Because if something looks good, and it seems good, and it feels good, it must be God. Okay, I'll say that again. See some of you didn't hear that one. It looks good. It, 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 it seems good. Everybody agrees almost that it's good. Then it must be God. No. God's will is God's will. If it's popular or not. If you agree with it or not. It stays God's will. And by the way, just in simple terms, Jesus is actually saying to the enemy, God does not appreciate being tested. We'd like to hear the the word of God straight, right? Jesus said, it is also written, you will not test God. Jumping from the pinnacle of the temple is never justified if that's not what God instructs you to do. Yet, you know what? I'm, I'm a faithful person. I'm on such a high. God saved my life. I am uh, going to jump from the hall and just declare I will not get hurt. Please just let me know if you're going to try that stunt so that we can be there to pick you up. What God says, do. If God didn't say that, don't. Nowadays, I think we, are, we have become so aligned with proclaiming what we want to do that sometimes we think it's just God's just have to is gonna have to just go with our plans. Jesus says no. It's also written you will not test God. Let me put this clearly. God approves obedience. Listen to him. The third thing, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. The enemy was actually saying to Jesus, listen, this was given to me in Luke, in, in, in the gospel of Luke. He says, this was given to me, I will give it to you. The enemy offered Jesus a shortcut to be king. He says, this was given to me, I will give it to you if you only bow before me. But you see, there might be a shortcut to be king, but there's no shortcuts to being savior. There's only one way. 
We've got to do the will of the Father because it's not just about raising up the name of Jesus Christ. It's about Him paying the price for our sins. And that journey was a bit longer than the one the enemy was presenting. You might say, but why is that so important? Do you know how many times the enemy comes with shortcuts to you and me with good things? And listen, if you, if you just do this, you'll get that. And you might even get it. But believe me, if it's not his will, there will be too much that you lose to try to take the shortcut. Jesus says, no, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. This is verse 10 of Matthew 4. Jesus again quoting Deuteronomy 6. So these quotations, Jesus quoting Deuteronomy 6 twice and Deuteronomy 8 once, quoting from, from Moses' teaching to the, to the Israelites and all of it is about obedience. And when Jesus was in this situation, being led by the Spirit of God to be tempted, Jesus leant and leaned on obeying God speaking within him and obeying the word of God being spoken and given through centuries. So this is what I want to close with. Can we agree that in the temptation of Christ, that Christ was the victor? Scripture says he did not sin. Hebrews 4 verse 15 says he was tested and tempted in every way just as we are yet without sin. Jesus did not sin. How? That was Jesus. True. But we've got to learn. Because always we say we want to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, right? Jesus did not go into the desert before the Spirit rested on him. So let me share this with you. Jesus endured real temptation and came out utterly victorious. Because Jesus understood the importance of not just the baptism of John. John, I've got to be obedient. But John, I need the power of the Holy Spirit to minister to me and through me as I'm going to be tested here in the desert. Jesus knew that the power, everything needed to follow in the will of the Father is given by God from within. That's why we see at the age of 30, Jesus saying, right. Walking this way, being tested and tempted in every way, but he did not sin. I want to encourage you this morning, never think that when the enemy comes and tests you, he might just find you at a place where you are hungry enough to turn everything and anything you can find around you into whatever it is you are hungry for. Never think at that moment that your wisdom and your strength will help you or sustain you. It'll be the Spirit of God leading you, guiding you. That's why Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
The Word of God is very clear. That's through the Spirit of God within us, the indwelling Christ within us, that in your moment of darkness, in your moment of hunger, when the enemy comes and offers anything and everything, and young people, hear me this morning. I wanna be clear. I don't wanna send you out and you wonder, what was he saying? There will be so many things and so many people and so many strategies and so many uh, things in culture that will offer you bread that will cost you your life. So let me share this with you this morning. Turn your eyes on Jesus and remind yourself simply again that with His strength within you, you can remain standing in faithfulness to this God whom we serve. Peter, we don't preach about obedience anymore. Well, if we don't preach about obedience, I think we've got maybe uh, maybe two or three chapters that we can keep. The rest we've got to throw away. No, we're under grace, Peter. We don't, have to, we, don't, we don't have to do this anymore. You can never earn your salvation. God saves you for free, but he calls you to obedience nonetheless. Be faithful. How, Peter? With God inside of you, with the Spirit of God leading you and guiding you, and even like Christ, when temptation comes, Understanding that we're filled and drenched with the Spirit, but also understanding that we've got to be filled with the Word of God. Hello? Okay, I'm going to say something that's going to, if you think the rest was not popular. If you don't know what the Word of God says, how are you going to do what God calls you to do? John, just say amen. Thanks. At least I I can, you know, here we go. I know you're with me, but I know this hurts. Because we want to say, God, yes, I I need, I, I really, I know I need you. I need to be drenched by your spirit. I need to be filled in every way, shape, and form. But 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 just let me drive. Because I know, you, you like the desert. You don't care if, if the, you don't care if sometimes I'm, I'm hungry. And, and sometimes, like the Israelites, you actually make me hungry so that I can know. You see, so let me drive, maybe. Hello? How's God going to teach you that you're only going to live from the Word of God and not from the bread that you yourself can provide. How's he going to teach you that? Let me say us. How is he teaching us that? Sometimes he makes you hungry. And then the enemy comes with a buffet. Are you hungry? I've got lots of goodies. It is written, you will not live from bread alone, but from every word that God gave. Let the Spirit lead, and let Scripture, the Word of God, sustain us. One of the most powerful factors in fighting temptation is to know that you're drenched with the Spirit of God. 
You know, Martin Luther, when they asked him, they asked him, how do you overcome the devil? I'm reading to his quote. He said this, well, when he comes knocking upon the door of my heart and asks, who lives here? The dear Lord Jesus goes to the door and says, Martin Luther used to live here, but he has moved out. Now I live here. Guess what happens if the enemy finds Jesus at the door? I can tell you what does not happen. He does not enter. I think Martin Luther would be, might be a good witness. See, but this second factor of fighting temptation to be filled with God's word, I want to encourage you not just, not just to read God's word, but to be filled with God's word. I want to encourage you to, to weigh very lightly every opinion you hear out there. Isn't it interesting that when we struggle or face challenge or decision, that we ask 10, 11, 12, 20 people before we say something like, I don't know what to do anymore. The only thing I can do now is pray. Can you hear how that sounds? Well, yeah, I've asked everybody else and they don't know what to do. I think I'll go to my last resort. Let me just ask the creator of heaven and earth if maybe he might have an opinion. Now you know why it's so silent now, right? Please listen carefully as we close. Psalm 119 says this, I have hidden your word in my heart. It's in verse 11 of Psalm 119. I've hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. I have hidden your word in my heart, in my heart that I might not sin against you. You want to follow in simple obedience? Hide his word in your heart. Lastly, you see, God's word reveals God's mind. And God's mind is not subjected to or influenced by sin or culture or anything else. It's his word. It's his mind. These two things, the fullness of Christ in each and every one of us and the word of God saturating our hearts and our soul, that is what Jesus pointed to when being tempted by the enemy, even in the desert, even when you're hungry unto death. May I say this morning that we listen to him and say, Lord, would you teach us that we truly are 
We are yours. We are yours above all. Would you please look at me? You can pray and bow your heads in prayer just now, but please look at me as I say this to you. When you and me come to our Heavenly Father, the same words that Jesus heard is the same words that He gives you. This is my son. You are my daughter. But Lord, I'm, I, I'm, I can't do it like Jesus did it. Yes, that's why he did it. Lord, I don't deserve it. Yeah, there you're right. Lord, I don't, I don't think I'm gonna be able to remain faithful every moment of every day. I know that better than you. But hear him say this this morning. You are my beloved son, my beloved daughter. Scripture says the Spirit of God in us cries within us, cries out within us, Abba, Father. I'm not here to present to you a recipe to withstand temptation through your own strength. Let me be clear about that. That is impossible. But in Christ, everything is possible. You might say, Piet, you don't know how many times I've failed. Hey, if you have time, come and I'll share with you how many times I have failed. And then we can both reminisce about our failures and we can both just lose ourselves in gratefulness to a Savior that says, not because of your works, but because of who I am. Listen to me. Hear my word. Hide it in your heart. Because when you need it, it will be there. Now I encourage you this morning before I pray for us. It's the same, the same God that raised Jesus from the dead. The same Father that said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The same Spirit of God that descended on Jesus like a dove. Scripture said that same Spirit lives in you. Come on, you look at me as if it, it can't be, can't be that fullness. Yes, it's that. Same God that raised Jesus from the dead, the same Spirit that, that raised Him lives in you and me. So would you allow Him to guide your every step, no matter how young, no matter how old, no matter how many times you've disappointed yourself, I wanna invite you this morning. Say again, Father, here I am. Everything within me, I want to follow you. Jesus, I want to follow your footsteps. Now, I'm not going to make it easy this morning. I'm not going to ask you to bow your heads or close your eyes. If you feel this morning that God is calling you again to this life of simple surrender and understanding that the fullness of 
of. His Spirit lives in you. He lives within you. And following Him in simple obedience. If you know God is speaking to you this morning, just stand up with me. I want to pray for you. Father, this morning, I pray for myself as I pray for each and everyone here. We want to say, Lord, we know there's nothing we've done to deserve to be sons and to be daughters, but we know that You did it all. We know, Lord, that through a surrendered life and a life that You sacrificed for us, You paid the price for our sins and that You have proclaimed that we are free and we are free indeed because of what you've done and because of the price that you've paid. Lord Jesus, you have declared that we will never be alone. And I pray that this morning, every, heart, every person standing would be reminded this morning that the power and the presence of Christ is within each and every one of us, that we are never alone in facing any temptation, that we will listen to your voice within us as you guide us and you lead us because there's a purpose far greater than the moment. There's a plan that stretches beyond this day. So Lord, I pray that in this day, your word will guide us and lead us and your spirit will determine our every step. Help us, Lord, to in simple obedience follow you every day of our lives and help us to understand that it is through your strength, it is through your Spirit and by your Spirit that we are able to stand and stand firm and be a witness and a testimony unto the goodness and the greatness of our God and our King. Thank you. Thank you for what you've done. And thank you for being with us and in us in this day. Thank you, Lord. Amen. You can take your seats. Thank you very much.